0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Keeping Up with the Windsors. My name is Michelle. And I'm Rachel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I thought I would start, Rach, with some lovely reviews that we've had recently from Apple Podcasts. And I wanted to start with a lovely review from Rachel Kate17. Now, Rachel Kate said, love this podcast, and I love you girls. I learned so much and it covers everything from the headlines, the work that really gets a mention, and then in brackets, all hail the hobnob. I give this pod (laughs) five true beliefs and ten black attacks yay Yay! <laughs> Rachel Kate thank you so much for that lovely review thank you so much for everyone who's reviewed our podcast so far if you're listening on Apple Podcasts you can review us if you are listening on Spotify you can rate the podcast out of five and also if you're listening on Podbean leave us a comment and follow us as well how are you doing this week Rach? busy 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 What's yeah. new? <laughs> I know. We we're just super busy and especially now with the coronation coming up, there's just extra stuff now we have to think about. It's exciting,
1: but just I'm worn out already. <laughs> I know. It is exciting. And I want to thank everyone over on Instagram at Keeping Up the Windsor's Pod who submitted a question because we've had a lot of people saying any tips, tricks, advice that you can give, any recommendations, please let us know. So I did put up a question sticker over on our Instagram stories. And I've actually saved all the questions and answers onto a highlight. So if you want to go back and check what questions were asked, then you can do over on Highlight. It's just called Coronation. But if you have any questions that you want to ask the show and I, please come on over to Instagram, DM us. We're always there to give you any advice. And I think we'll do a little live nearer the timeshell because I know a lot of people are coming from overseas, aren't they? Yeah, they are.
0: Lots of people. And it can be quite daunting, especially if you come in on your own, if you have never been to the UK as well. So we will be able to answer questions you have. Royal community,
1: we're all in this together. It's our coronation together. <laughs> we also had people asking us about a meetup for the coronation and we will be doing a meetup the day before. We're just finalising details at the moment of where it's going to be and what times. But we will let you know nearer the time. So don't worry because, Shell, there's a lot of people that are coming over by themselves. Yeah, exactly. And also there's a lot of
0: people that have reached out. It's been nice to actually meet up the day before and have just a good old chat about the Royals in a very unstressful situation. Because sometimes can be quite stressful on the mall, but also it's lots of fun. But yeah, we thought maybe the day before and then hopefully bringing in that volunteering aspect as well that we mentioned last week. So... We've got lots to catch up on this week. Remember, this episode is called Harry Spare Review Part 3. We will be talking about that in the Royal News. But before that, we've got the Royal Roundup. So we're going to be keeping you up to date with everything that's happened, Royal engagement-wise, for this week.
1: Do you want to kick us off, Rach? Yes, so shall I think maybe people over at Buckingham Palace, they, they might be listening to us. Because I hope they are. We th- I hope they are. We've had a lot of content coming from the Earl of Wessex this week, which I am absolutely living
0: for. When I saw this, there was like an inner clap, like, well done. Not well done to the Earl of Wessex, but well done social media <laughs> team, because this
1: is the content we want to see. It really absolutely. is. So he visited schools, organisations and communities who run the Duke of Edinburgh's awards in Blackpool. He spent time there with young people who volunteer in the local communities and the award scheme is working to reach one million young people who face barriers in taking part. So the area that he went to is a more of a deprived area in England and just goes to show that Even these young people are really taking an interest in their local communities and the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, people that have actually participated in it, said that it's just so rewarding at the end of it to know that you've achieved something. Well, we had Bedweer, didn't we, in the
0: 100th episode and he was talking about the Duke of Edinburgh and how he enjoyed it as well. He did say he was raining quite a lot when he was doing his orienteering. But, you know, it it does have a lasting effect. And we also know that the Princess of Wales got her Duke of Edinburgh award. Exactly. The Queen Consort, in her new role as Colonel of the Grenadier Guards, visited the Leal Barracks in Aldershot, She met soldiers and their families and also presented medals. We then saw Camilla at Buckingham Palace as she welcomed members of the Queen's Own Rifles of Canada. She was presented with the Canadian Forces decoration in recognition of her 12 years of service as Colonel-in-Chief of the Regiment. Again, I'm loving this because we're usually UK-based, but this is a Canadian engagement. I am living for this.
1: Bring on more of the Commonwealth. This was great to see. One to see Camilla at Buckingham Palace. Because we've said this previously, we're getting to see a lot more engagements at different locations, aren't we? So normally it would all be based at Buckingham Palace. We're getting to see Windsor Castle a lot more. And we know that the King and the Queen Consort have spent the most of January up in Scotland. Shel, I'm so excited to be talking about this next segment because the King awarded an MBE to Holocaust survivor Lily Ebert at Windsor Castle. Now all community, you might remember her name as she was one of the seven survivors to have their portrait commissioned and was featured in a documentary which was overseen by a then Prince Charles. And we actually spoke about this on the podcast, didn't we, Shel, back last January. Yeah, and if you want to go back to
0: that episode, I'll leave it in the show notes. So if you're on your phone, just um, swipe up and you'll see the Show notes underneath where the press play and stuff is. And underneath there will be show notes, and I'll pop the link in there for you.
1: Lily, with the help of her great-grandson Dove, runs a TikTok account which she uses to talk about the Holocaust. Even before Lily featured on this documentary, Show and I actually had seen her on TikTok, hadn't we? Because we usually send each other videos and it's like, yeah, I've already seen that. (laughs) I think Rachel and I have the same TikTok feed. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I open
0: up my TikTok, Rachel sent me like four videos and I've sent her about four back. And they sometimes are the same ones. Yeah. <laughs> but this is so special because Lily is an advocate of spreading the word that the Holocaust is never forgotten. And we are... Educated about it on an ongoing basis. This
1: is her being able to spread that word, and what a remarkable life Lily's had is what I have to say about that. Honestly, what remarkable life! And she was just so excited to be at Windsor Castle with her great grandson, sharing this experience. And she actually said, "I've got to see the King again because she had met him at Buckingham Palace January last year." So how amazing that a year later she has been awarded this, and I can't think of a better recipient. We've had a very special, what's the word, unveiling. We didn't... Briefly mention it last week, but tell us all about the Princess of Wales and what she's been up to this week. Well, Shell, it's been a busy week. So the other night, the Prince and Princess of Wales attended a pre-campaign Shaping Us launch event hosted by the Royal Foundation Centre for Early Childhood. Now, this is the next phase in Catherine's Early Years Initiative. A video was shown which featured a plasticine baby called Layla, And you see her from when she's inside the womb up until the age of five. Have you seen this show? Yeah, I have literally
0: just watched it before we pressed record. I didn't realise I was going to get upset about a plasticine baby, (laughs) but I did have a little tear in my eye. And I thought, why did they go with plasticine? I thought, oh, shaping us. Ah, I see plasticine, you shape mould. I see children, right, okay. And it made a lot of sense. And it's a perfect way of showing everybody how vital these first five years are. But also, it's a thing that can be watched in
1: all ages as well. Because kids like animations, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. So amongst the guests were TV presenter and children's author, Rochelle Humes, who brought her daughter, Alea, to the event. And it was really lovely because Alea was in the lineup meeting Catherine and William. They was having a bit of a conversation and she said, there's only one reason that she's here. And then she looked at Catherine and she said, it's your hair. She has the best hair, mum. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Alea, yes, we all agree. Catherine has the best hair. <laughs> she does have the best hair. Wow other guest at this evening was Giovanna Fletcher and you may remember her because Catherine recorded an episode of her podcast Happy Mum Happy Baby in that podcast she mentioned about the birth of Prince George coming out of the Lingdo wing and Giovanna was asking her the pressure that Catherine must have felt. And Catherine was saying, you know, we knew how much people were excited about the birth of George. So we wanted to give back in some way to thank the people for all of their well wishes. When we first started
0: Keeping Up With The Windsors, Rachel and I was like, do you think a royal would ever come on our podcast? And I said, well, <laughs> Catherine's been on Giovanna's she made for about two hours, you know,
1: sometime soon. That's not a plug. She's not coming on here, Royal Community. <laughs> but she might possibly, you never know. You never know. And I think it was really interesting, the celebrities, influencers that they have chosen to star along this campaign, because they also have Professor Green, who is a UK rapper. And what's really interesting about his backstory is he grew up on a cancerous estate, And when he was a boy, his father committed suicide. And so he was saying in one of his Instagram posts, That that obviously really shapes him and his childhood. And the man that he is today, he said, had I had a different upbringing to what I had when I was younger, Mm -hmm. it would have definitely served the outcome of my life to how it is now. Yeah. And I agree with you. It was a strange pick, but actually it goes.
0: You know, you can see how it it all merges together. I... Was still a bit confused about shaping us to be honest, Rach. It had a little bit of backlash on Twitter, and I don't know whether you've seen this yet. But a lot of people have mentioned with Catherine's qualifications, why is she talking about the early years? Mm-hmm. I thought it's not about qualifications; it's about shining a spotlight, yes, on the subject matters that are most important to those members of the royal family. Because she could shine a light on any other place that she wants, but for her, this is super important. And then you could see other people on Twitter, you know, they always have a little Twitter row back and forth, don't they? (laughs) And then another person was like, listen, I'm an early years educationer. And for me, this is really important that it doesn't matter what Catherine has credentials wise. The fact that she is able to bring this to the masses is what is most important, for people to understand that the first five years in life is absolutely crucial into forming a healthy
1: society. So I applaud her for this. I think what you've got to think of as well is that this isn't something Catherine's just jumped on the back of. She's been working with the early years, really since she became a working member of the royal family, because one of her first engagements was at a school when she became the Duchess of Cambridge after she married Prince William. So she has at least 10 years experience and... Let's not forget, she has renowned people in their sectors of the early years involved in this initiative. So although she might not know all the answers, there are other people that she's working with that are on the board for the Early Years Foundation that know exactly what they're talking about because they've been working on these research for 10 plus years. And it's only because of her and her influence as a royal, as a senior member of the royal family, that we're getting to hear about this. And also the Royal Foundation for Early Childhoods is the impetus to
0: drive money towards this cause. So they will create that. They will create the money to then make that research happen. And so any research into this is better than having somebody who is like, oh, she shouldn't do this because she's... Leave her alone. Let her do her thing. (laughs) This is something that's important to her and it'll be important to a lot of children. I think way back when we used to have something called Sure Start here and it got scrapped by a, a certain government. We won't go into politics here. But I think this is something that the Princess of Wales is filling a little bit of a hole with. And if that can help
1: anyone or even just to educate others on how important it is, it's worth it. So let's take a bit of a detour for a moment and talk about Catherine's fashion choice for this launch. Because yeah. she was power dressing to the maximum in a red suit, wasn't she? I mean, Trini would be super happy with, with Catherine, <laughs> wouldn't she? She'd
0: have a whole YouTube video on Catherine's power dressing. I wasn't a massive fan of the colour. It looked amazing on her. But red is probably one of my least favourite colours. Yeah, mine too.
1: She looked great, but I would have liked a different colour. That's all. You know, when we think of power dressing, the fact that she was wearing a suit, the way she had her hair was very sleek. It was, I mean, business. I want to be taken seriously. Yeah. I'm not just here to be a clothes horse I'm not just here to be a pretty face because let's be honest Cheryl, that's what a lot of people follow the world well that's why a lot of people do like Catherine is because she is this beautiful woman and because of the clothes that she wears and the fashion and the style choices that she makes Yeah. and there were some people that were saying oh I miss her old style but I was thinking about this and I was thinking well hang on a minute this is a woman that's just turned 41 people's styles change in a bowl and she's not going to be dressing the way she did 10 years ago because she's grown as a person and that's just what happens naturally is you do change and your tastes change, yeah. And on that point, I would have been seen dead in a Marks and Spencer 10 years
0: ago, but I love it now.
1: <laughs> it's just the way you love a bit of Marks and Sparks, love it. <laughs> it's all about the change, it really is. So, on the launch day for Shaping Us, in a video for the newly created Instagram account Early Childhood, Catherine said of the campaign. Life-changing impacts when we build a supportive, nurturing world around children and those who care for them because focusing our collective time, energy and resources on these most preventative years, we can make a huge difference to the physical and mental health and happiness of generations to come. Because I think this was the thing, was a lot of people were saying, it's all re- well and good that she's doing this, but what actually is shaping us? A lot of people didn't understand the reasoning for it. And then the actual launch day, when that video was released, it's like, oh, I get it now. Mm. I understand more. Yeah, And we actually saw her in Leeds where she went to Kirkgate Market and she met vendors and members of the public to join a discussion about their experiences of early childhood. And then she later went to Leeds University. And what was interesting about this visit was that she was meeting students that their degrees were to do with Child education. I think this was like a great correlation of the events that was leading up to that. These students may potentially be the next
0: educators
1: who are helping with the early years in their future, exactly. And also there was a video that I think melted a lot of people's hearts. There was a, a man in the crowd. He asked her for a selfie and she was like, oh, of course, like really quickly. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a bit autistic. I'm I'm really, I'm really nervous. And she was oh. like, no, it's fine. Like, there's no need to be nervous. She just has a way of putting people at ease.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know when like it's your responsibility to take the selfie, my hand shakes a little bit. <laughs>
1: like, I can't oh, take girl! selfies. <laughs> you know what I'm like Shell any time Shell and I go to London we're doing a video or something she's like give me that blowing phone in <laughs> like, I don't know how to do it <sighs> yeah it was a lovely
0: moment I think he took at least three or four little pictures with Catherine oh, yeah, yeah that she, was lovely you? You, have yeah. you have to you have to you've got to take your, your opportunity right that's our Royal Roundup for this week let's head to the Royal News where we're talking about Harry's part three of Spear let's get to it are we starting with this, rage? Well, well, firstly, God. congratulations to me and you because we finished the book. I literally <laughs> finished it about an hour ago. <laughs>
1: so it's <was> fresh <laughs> in my mind. It's hard going, isn't it? I think you need to give yourself a pat on the back if you finish. It was a long slog in the sense that it was over 15 hours long to listen to it. Part three is when he's... I've just written here on my notes.
0: He's 13. He can't cook a roast chicken. (laughs) That's in my notes. Um, He has, he's meeting Megan and it's his departure from the royal family and them having Archie and Lily. And then it finishes with him basically saying goodbye to the queen, doesn't it? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it ends with a hummingbird leaving the house. There was little bits in this that I was like, whoa, I can't believe he's saying this. Like really private conversations. Mm -hmm. So the privacy aspect for me was an alarm bell, but there wasn't much in it that we haven't heard before, because this is all what was packed into the Oprah interview and also the Netflix documentary. But obviously, we've had it from Harry's book, his own words.
1: And so, yeah, what was your first thought of part three, Rach? As you said, it's about him meeting Megan. He talks about he saw Megan for the first time on Instagram. And I think he says this in a documentary as well. Yeah, the dog filter, wasn't it? Yeah, they had a mutual friend and he said to his friend, who's that? They connected over on Instagram because he had a lot of photos of South Africa and she was really interested in the photos that he posted. They were texting him for ages and he was like, wow, we have so much in common. Like we have hmm. a lot of the same interests. And then he talks about their first date, that he turns up half an hour late And he said that she was wearing a black sweater, jeans and heels. I think it was a documentary or something to do with her wedding dress. And she said, one of the little things that's interesting is that there's a piece of fabric from the dress that I wore from our first date. And people were like, well, hang on a minute. She said that she was wearing a dress and now he was saying that she was wearing jeans and a sweater. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things, like,
0: I guess it's like, when do you define a first date? So maybe Harry's defining it as like the first day he met where she's like, no, this is the first day you wind and dined me on a date. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, it might might be that. It could be something very, very innocent. Because I think a lot of people are looking at this book and thinking, right, where's all the lies? Where's all the untruths? Mm -hmm. And you can pick apart some of it, of course. But again, this is
1: Harry's book. We have to just take it for face value, I guess. One thing that made me laugh in this section of the book in the early days of their courtship as such was that he said that he worried about William and Catherine asking Meghan for an autograph because they were Suits fans. I was listening to this and I was thinking the amount of famous people that William and Catherine have met and you're worried about them asking your girlfriend for an autograph. I don't think that William and Catherine especially William, would ever ask anyone for an autograph. It's weird, isn't it? It is a weird. It's just weird. strange. Like, I think there's admiration because they'd obviously watched the programme that she was on. But at that point, I was just like, really?
0: Yeah. We might jump around a little bit, Royal Community, but just stay with us because obviously this book... As we've mentioned in part one and part two is a memoir, which means that it just flits around, not chronologically, but just in the way it's told. So you'll have three minutes of one story and then it'll move completely to a different scenario. I found that really hard about the book. I wish it was an autobiography. I've said that every single episode we've reviewed this. But that's the reason why we may jump from bit to bit, because there's a lot of little tiny things. The one thing I will say, Rach, is there's a lot of contradictions in this book. And I don't mean in his facts, but actually in where does he stand? Is he the spear and he's second best and he gets all the Ikea furniture and not the good stuff like Kate and Wills. Is he somebody who can't cook a roast chicken? He doesn't have money for a stylist. Is he somebody who doesn't own a key to his house? He doesn't own a house. He doesn't own a car. But on the flip side, gets to go and visit Megan anytime he wants on an airplane. Are you living a prince's life? I just didn't get it. There were so many double standards within this book that for me, I find it quite hard. Like, I liked him and then I didn't like him. Then I liked him, then I didn't Mm -hmm. like him. I felt like I was on a seesaw with him constantly throughout this book. You know, he's so privileged. Like, he mentions, oh, we were on holiday at Necker Island. You know, we were throwing water (laughs) balloons at the Paps and Mummy was laughing. And the reason I mention that is because he brings up therapy. And in therapy, he's talking about Diana and this specific moment, this memory that comes to mind for him. And then he realizes that that's the first time that he's thought of his mum outside of his grief. And it's like a big moment in the book, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But again, it's like, are you really, really privileged? Are you somebody who's looking for a house in California but don't want to spend your mum's inheritance money or your great grandmother's inheritance money because it belongs to Archie and Lily? Are you a spare or are you entitled? I just couldn't. Get my head around it. There's so many great things about Harry, and there's so many infuriating things about Harry. Mm. And I think that's kind of what I'm left with out to this book. That I think I like the Harry he is now way more than the Harry he used to be. But you know, him and William was having a conversation on the island that Diana was buried and they took a boat over there and they're having this private conversation. A conversation, I'm guessing, Rach, William thought would never ever be spoken to by anyone because they're trust as brothers and you're just having a conversation. And then it ends up in this book. And a lot of people could probably say, yeah, but Williams done him dirty. I mean, he may have done him dirty. We don't know, right? But still, I would feel a bit out of sorts writing that private conversation down personally i just got so many emotions about
1: it when you're listening to parts of this book i felt sorry for harry there were certain aspects of it where i was like i totally understand where you're coming from especially when he's talking about the press in terms of when he meets megan because we've spoken about this when we spoke about the documentary that the press they've just been on their case since the moment the story broke that they were dating we've always said we need to do a drinking games every time that we mention the documentary the princes and in the press because yeah. then you really understand the relationship between the institution and the british press but yeah i mean there were some bits where he's talking about william and to me he comes across as quite bitter yeah The fact that he is the spare and William is the heir, fair enough, he couldn't help the family that he was born into, right? Just like William in a way. And William has far more responsibility than what Harry does or Mm -hmm. did at the time. Yeah. So I found that quite hard because whenever he's done all these interviews that he's been doing lately, he's always said, I love my brother. Mm -hmm. I want a relationship with my brother. Yet you're divulging all this information. You're divulging private conversations. You're saying things that will even if it's not intentional, will hurt William, will hurt his brother. It's really sad that it has come to this conclusion that there is such a wide gap now between William and Harry because we always perceive them as quite close. But yet when Harry's talking about his relationship with William in the book, it doesn't actually seem that close, does it? And maybe what we've always bought into is what the media has fed us or even what the institution wants
0: us to believe about them.
1: Exactly. It was interesting in that sense to get his take on it. But I think also some of the stories, show didn't really help his cause. When he's talking about getting married and he wants to keep his beard because Meghan has never seen him without one, he has to ask the Queen to keep it. And he argued with William because William said, well, I wasn't allowed to keep my beard. Like, why are you allowed to keep yours? And William was told to shave it off. So William then said, no, Harold, you must shave it off as well. But then a lot of people have said, actually if you're wearing a military uniform, you're not supposed to have a beard. That's part of the grooming regulations when you're in your military regalia. Yeah. And then Harry said,
0: that's what William had said to him. And so he'd got all these examples of other royal members of the family who have had beards and been in the military. It was one of those things where the spare aspect of Harry's life actually works in his favor at times and he doesn't ever acknowledge it for instance the beard situation that wouldn't have happened to william because he's the heir and harry is the spear and it's the same as when harry asks the queen can i marry megan and it's quite funny that that bit isn't it the queen says by the way royal community we are Paraphrasing, We do not have a copy of the book right in front of us. We listened to the audio book. Some people called us out on this last week, Rach. They were like, yeah, but that's not exactly what they said. We do not have the transcript <laughs> right in front of us. That's not the way audiobooks work. So I just want to say we will be paraphrasing. The Queen said something along the lines of, oh, well, I'm going to have to say yes then, aren't I? Because he said, well, I've been told that I have to ask you. And she said, well, I'm going to have to say yes. So the way in which he writes it in the book, you know, he's using his, what's the word, his sway with the Queen, because they really got on the Queen and Harry. So there's parts where the spear actually is a benefit to harry and then obviously the rest of it i can see how he found that really hard and you know what that's his lived experience right and mm-hmm. there is one part of that when he's talking about being the spare that i don't believe i do believe william pulled rank on him a few times it had to happen he is an heir and we've also got this weird dichotomy within the family that they're not only a family but they're also in this institution they were born into And there's just stuff at play that's happening around them that actually divides them as family members. He said that he'd asked for no royal rota journalists to be in the church. And then he said no royal correspondents in that church unless Murdoch had apologized for the phone hacking scandal himself. And I actually loved that power move that they made in that church because
1: that is their day. And I think the Royal Rotor was outside, wasn't they, instead? Talking about the wedding show, I'm going to tell you the one story that really, really annoyed me throughout this whole book. And it's one of the biggest stories throughout this whole time if you look back at the wedding. And it's the story of Tiara Gate. There's always been rumours in the press that Meghan wanted a particular tiara and it was the tiara that Eugenie wore on her wedding day. Harry talks about when Meghan was trying on tiaras and the Queen was, oh, tiaras really suit you. There was, you know, she was trying on different ones. Yeah, And he doesn't say which tiara was chosen and why. Like, because this has been one of the biggest things. If, if you're going to talk about this story, give us the full context of, yes, that was a particular tiara that Meghan wanted, but unfortunately, Ganny wouldn't allow her to wear it because that was bookmarked for Eugenie. Tell us the whole story. But maybe he didn't put that in there because it's a lie. Yeah, like tell me what other tiaras that Meghan put on. You just <laughs> want to know all the details. <laughs> No, no. What I mean is this is still one of the biggest royal news stories from that time is Tiara Gate, right? Yeah. So he's talking about Angela Kelly. The Queen says, make sure that you have a trial with your hairdresser. And Harry and Meghan are like, yeah, great. So they say to Angela Kelly, can we take the tiara out of the palace so Megan can try it with a hairdresser and he's trying to get in contact with Angela for days and days no communication whatsoever and then he says that one day Angela Kelly turns up at Kensington Palace with the tiara makes him sign declaration to say yes he has it and it's going to be back at a certain time but again it's Where's the clarification? This was such a big news story. And I feel like sometimes he's telling stories, but he's not giving the full reasoning behind that story. And he's not telling you the conclusion of that. Mm. He's just given his side of it, which is fair enough because, again, it's from his own words. But if you're going to be talking about a situation where we've already heard about it in the press many, many times before, it's exactly like the bridesmaid's dresses. Yeah. Well, I was
0: really shocked by his portrayal of Angela Kelly because reading her book... Listening to her own voice from an audiobook that I listened to, she comes across so genuine. She's got quite a few assistants underneath her from what I believe, or is definitely on that team. And as we know from Angela Kelly's book, The Other Side of the Coin, there's a lot of things in play when you take things from the Royal Collection. And these jewels are worth hundreds of thousands thousands of pounds so i think he thought because he i mean this is what i think he thought because he is prince harry he gets to just take it because it belongs to granny anyway so i'm just borrowing it but there is a procedure ahead of it and also it was in time for their rehearsal what would they expect in them to just keep it in nottingham cottage until the wedding Yeah, I just didn't yeah. understand that. And I thought there was some parts of it that he came across very privileged and very entitled. And this is one of them, actually, not because they didn't have the tiara when they wanted it. But like, come on, just think a little bit more about this. There's a lot more that goes into it than just taking a tiara, putting it in a, you know, a backpack and in off home and then bringing it back and i think actually angela kelly came to them and said these are the procedures you need to sign this form i think they had to go to the palace right if i remember right from reading it recently angela kelly he comes off very bitter towards her but actually she's just following protocol from my understanding of it from reading the protocol that's also in her book but then i also think you did take a christening gown on an airplane do you know what i mean like Oh, I'm not sure. But then
1: that's not diamonds. Yeah, exactly. You know, the tiaras, they've got lots of history behind them. They're priceless, basically, aren't they? Yeah. I want to really touch on the relationship between
0: King Charles and Meghan, because it was actually really gentle and beautiful, their relationship. And they got on really well from what I hear in this book. Charles was so sweet when they were like, oh, come over. We're going to sort the music out for the wedding. and they were talking about Chopin. I really liked this part of the book. I just thought it was really nice. And we got a real sense of their relationship, their warmth, away from their roles, away from the institution, away from the backstabbing with the press. If That made me feel sad that if they weren't part of the royal family, they'd probably be a really nice family
1: on their own. Yeah, I think the same. You really got the sense of when Meghan and Harry first met Charles and Camilla, when they went for tea at Tarant's house. Yeah. And it was just a normal conversation. They were chatting about all different things. You know, that was one of the reasons that when all the drama was happening surrounding her father, Prince Charles at the time then walked Meghan down the aisle partway. That was a nice gesture of him to do, wasn't it? Yeah. I just want to
0: make a few little points before we get into our next big point. Firstly, Charles has a long term butler called Kevin and Diana used to go below stairs, Downton Abbey, below stairs and drink and eat snacks with Kevin. <laughs> I know, just I, I love Kevin. This sounds amazing. Can you imagine? Oh, I also want to bring up the fact that Magic FM is a mega favourite of Megan's. did you know this, Reg? Magic FM. I can't stand this radio show. Every time I listen to it, I want to just turn it over. Are you a fan of Magic FM? I don't listen to Magic FM, so I wouldn't even know what songs they play (laughs) on it. Uh, It's very much anything 90s below. So like 70s,
1: 80s, 90s. Oh, right. One of the other little things I wanted to bring up was sometimes it comes across as quite petty, the relationship between Harry and William or the Sussexes and the Cambridges, because Harry says William and Catherine were upset that they didn't give them Easter presents. And then Harry and Megan were upset because they switched the name cards at their wedding. Is this just a normal brotherly competition, sibling rivalry? I don't understand, but some of it I was just like, oh come on, like throw a pen, grow up. <laughs> yeah. Get on with it. And I think this
0: does hark back to that power struggle. It is there. There's tit for tat definitely, which happens it with siblings, but maybe it's heightened because there's always going to be a trump card and the trump card is the heir to the throne. So it's never on an equal footing, which I also think is the reason why, for me, Harry taking his story back is then equal in the playing field. Because actually, this is the one power that William doesn't have. William doesn't have free speech. He has to be neutral. He has to keep within the institutional construct. And that's something now that Harry doesn't have to do. So he does mention the fact that he didn't have his freedom whilst being a member of the royal family. But now he's out of that. And that is worth more than anything, really.
1: One of the other stories that came out and was picked up by the press in terms of when this book was being serialised and all the excerpts were coming out was the mention of when they're talking about the bridesmaid dresses, and Meghan says about Kate oh, it's just your hormones. It's just probably baby brain. Yeah. And then the four of them were having a conversation that got a bit heated and it got into a bit of an argument. And apparently Catherine said to Megan, we're not close enough for you to talk about my hormones. Mm-hmm. And Megan said, it's how I was speak to my girlfriends. And then William said, that's not how things are done here in Britain, Megan. Yeah. We get the sense that it was quite heated because then Harry said, Megan says take your finger out of my face. I think this is where you really start to feel and see the shift and the divide between the two camps. And it wasn't long after that it was announced that Kensington Palace would be split and the two households would become the Cambridges and Sussexes. Mm. And then there was this whole thing in the press about Team Cambridge versus Team Sussex. You know, we've heard so many times about bullying allegations and staffs slumped over Death's Crying and William Blaine's Megan. and Harry said no Megan reached out and she spread kindness and she sent baskets of food and she wrote thank you notes and she shared freebies she shared clothes she shared makeup yeah Mm-hmm. And so you're really seeing like two sides of the story here. It's really hard to compartmentalise between the two because like we said before, there's always going to be two sides to every story. And what's really interesting, Shell, is I would absolutely love, 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 love if the NDAs got lifted from the royal family staff members. So whoever was involved in these particular camps could actually come forward and actually seek their truth because until that happens, we'll never know the full story and the real story. Yeah,
0: and this is a big question mark that comes up in the book about the institution that they should have intervened when the press were going really hard with Meghan. And... It's a question I want to ask you, Rach. Do you think the institution should have intervened? From
1: listening to the book, I can only imagine what all these little stories would accumulate to and how it would make an individual feel. Yeah, And all these lies were being told about Meghan. And Harry was like, all they needed to do was put out a story, was put out a statement saying, this is not true. Yeah. But they wouldn't do that. The institution wouldn't do that. And I think what you really find in this book is, for instance, when Everything was happening when Harry and Meghan wanted to leave the institution. The Queen invited them to Balmoral, and they were offered to stay. She was at stay for the weekend and Harry was like, great, we'll come up and we'll visit and we can have, you know, a proper discussion. They were making arrangements and then all of a sudden it's, no, the Queen's too busy. And it was her people, her private secretaries were shutting off because they'd obviously said into the Queen's ear, we don't think this is wise that you go down this route. And I think it's hard when you have that monarch, that sovereign role, and you've got your grandson who you love. Yeah. But you've got to think, well, what is the best? What's the best thing? Is it the institution that I've worked for and I've given my whole life to? Mm -hmm. Or do I protect my grandson? Unfortunately, because again, this is a human being. This is a family member. It's like we always say, the institution always wins. The crown always wins. And it's always going to be that way.
0: And... On that point, it's really sad listening to this part, especially the Sangenham summit part, because Harry says, I need a moment. He leaves. And you can tell that he's really trying to understand that he's been he's been blindsided. They've made that decision themselves and they're just trying to get Harry to come round to what they want to happen, which is option five because they gave him five options. To be honest, Rach, I have to say as a royal fan, I would have loved Harry and Meghan to have lived in a different country and come back and done royal engagements every now and then. I think personally it would have been better if it was a Commonwealth country because it would make more sense. But I think having that in-out kind of thing would have worked well for people internationally as well as the UK. So I would have loved option three. I would have liked them to have gone through every single option. yeah always <laughs> we didn't get yeah. one well, privy to that we have to actually make this point because this is something we haven't heard about before there are three palace courtiers the bee the wasp and the fly so he's talking about the different main heads of each of the houses basically tommy lassells aren't they rach <laughs> they're the tommy lassells of you know in our age and we don't ever get to know their names or who they are, but apparently there's these three palace courtiers who he said they were middle-aged white men who, you know, wormed their way up to privilege in a sense. And these three people, they were pulling the strings. When this was happening with the Sandrinum Summit, he said, oh, you want me to sign option five? Like you've already printed this out. Well, did you print out option one, two, three, four? Just in case we chose those. And he said, oh no, the printer was broken. And then he yeah. went down to the office. The bee's assistant was there. It sounds like the master singer, doesn't it? The bee's singer was down there and the printer was working fine. I think he was blindsided. And I honestly think it was just one of those where as a family, they chose the crown over Harry and Meghan at that time. And I was really sad for Harry in this. And you actually, I felt sad for all of them. After reading this book, I have so much sympathy for them all and a lot of empathy for the birthright that they have because that's
1: so tough. It really is. What did you think of the bee, the wasp and the fly, Rach? I think that's in reference again to what I was saying about when Harry and Meghan were going to go and visit. The Queen didn't have anything in her diary and then all yeah. of a sudden her diaries fall. Exactly. It was the bee, the wasp or the fly that kind of, without saying it, he said it, didn't he, in the book. And I think it was very smart for him not to name names. Yeah, but I think you realise that it probably was the Queen's private secretaries that were working yeah. behind the scenes to get the Sandringham summit pushed over to what they wanted and what they thought was going to be best for the institution. But when we spoke about the documentary show, is living in a Commonwealth country or living in another country is all fine and well, but then they also have to think of how the public would react because we would still be paying for their security and we would yeah. be paying for them to live a certain life, but they would be in another country. Mm -hmm. So how would it be fair to the British taxpayer to be living in another country and we're still paying for them? I understand where Harry was coming from with that, but I also think you need to look at both sides of it and they needed to be able to... Justify to the British public if and when that did happen, how it was going to be paid for. Because as we know, anti monarchists, that's always one of the biggest things, isn't it? Is that we pay towards the royal family. That is a point that he made, wasn't it? He was willing
0: to relinquish the Sussex titles at that point. We were only privy to Harry's words. And to be honest, when we heard about the Sandringham Summit, when it was on TV, I never ever thought that I would get somebody from the royal family talking about it. So it felt like a a fly on the wall. Yeah, again, it was just one of those things where I just really felt sad for them all and the situation they've been put in. But I want to go back to what you just said about the press because Harry made a very good point and he said the press... Their business model needs us to be in constant conflict. And he was talking to William about this. And that is so true, isn't it? The press drum up drama when there's no drama. Like, you know, Megan with the avocados and supposedly trying to kill Charlotte with the Lily of the Valley bouquet of flowers i mean come on absurdity absolute absurdity but they need to be in constant conflict to create that drama to sell you know newspapers and a side note i want to pick up with megan actually in this because i think she had her hands full with harry and i think she's done really well in the relationship with him there was a moment where harry raised his voice to her when they first started going out and she was like no that's not the man I want. Yeah. You know, this isn't the life that I want. This isn't the father I want for my children. And it really set a precedent and a standard for Harry to adhere to. And I really admired that about Meghan because that's such a hard thing to keep up. And she just set the standard straight away to right as well. You shouldn't yeah. be spoken to the way Harry supposedly
1: spoke to Meghan. I don't know if you agree with me with this, but there's always been, for the last few years in particular, more a negative feeling towards Meghan. Generally. Yeah. and listening to this book like you just said I was kind of thinking actually is some of it to blame on Harry I thought the exact same thing yeah because the way sometimes that Harry comes across in the book I actually felt like if he hadn't done some of the things that he had done then Meghan would have been in the situations that she was in Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, Rach. Sometimes
1: I wanted to shake the
0: Harry that was talking to me in the head and go, can you understand what you're saying? Like, this is ridiculous. You know, if you hadn't done X, Y and Z, then you would have been saving yourself a lot of drama. And that's not to say that they were asking for things. No, but I think Harry did not prepare Meghan. And Meghan assumed that she knew something about the royals, about fame and that she could handle it. But then again, no one in their right mind would ever have believed the amount of avalanche of crap that was coming to Harry and Meghan, especially Meghan in the press. And I also want to make a big, massive point here, because Harry did drive me a little bit doolally whilst I was listening, because he kept saying that the British people are going to listen to the press. And then he said three million people read newspapers. There's 60 million people in the UK and that's 3 million, right? And I know what he's saying, that negative bias can be drip fed and it just permeates into your subconscious about somebody and you make, you know, an informed decision on a feeling or whatever. I just thought there's a difference between all Britons believe in one thing because of the press and people like us, Rachel, are very informed. We listen to different things and read different sources from both camps and Then also the press, because there's also a very good aspect of the press, journalism, whistleblowing, documentaries. They're excellent parts of journalism. And then the tabloids. And sometimes I think Harry, when he was talking, didn't differentiate that. So I think a lot of people go, oh, my God, the British press are disgusting. They've done this. They've done that. Well, there's an aspect of the press that definitely, from my perspective and my opinion, definitely needs more regulation But then there's journalism that actually does have a purpose within democracy. So this book never really comes that. You can feel the anger. You can feel the vitriol towards the press and rightly so from Harry's point. But then I also think there wasn't that differentiation between Britons who actually do think and do read versus people who are just drip fed and believe everything they read. So maybe that's just me and feeling a little bit like I need to stick up for us. I don't know. But yeah, it, it did just grate on me
1: slightly. So, Cheryl, last week we were talking about Harry singing. Megan and Harry went to the Castle of May. They stayed with Prince Charles up in Scotland. There's a story about seals and it's kind of like an old wise tale. And they go out and they're walking on the beach. In the distance, they spot these seals and the seals start singing. Oh, my gosh, Cheryl, this was the funniest thing I think I've heard through the whole book. He said... She really is magic. Even the seals know it. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, what is he going on about at
0: this point? Do you know what? I had a very different feeling about this section. Oh my gosh. I I did. I thought that about Courtney Cox's toilet in part two. I thought, (laughs) what is he doing? What is he saying? OMG. But this part, I found it really tender and honestly, such a moving bit. And the reason being is previously to this, when they were talking about being with Charles and then he said, oh, when we saw the seals and then I started singing and he actually sung, didn't he, in in the thing. I can't remember what he was doing. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then Megan started doing it. (laughs) (laughs) You could be Harry, I'll be Megan. And, And then he said they didn't really react until... Megan started and then that's when he said they really must think she's magic and I just thought it was really sweet I just really liked that moment but I completely understand when you take it out of context and you go what
1: what yeah hang on is this Harry or is this writer
0: (laughs) yeah I I definitely had to go for sure absolutely well we've had all this talk haven't we about therapy and whether he did have therapy before Megan or not And he actually said that Willie had suggested therapy and he tried some, but it didn't work. And I think that is something about therapy. It doesn't work for everybody. And it's not because therapy doesn't work. It's because you have to find the therapist that you feel most comfortable with or you're not ready for therapy. And I really believe that he wasn't ready at that time. Plus, I think he's found someone in Megan who he couldn't believed that she would love him there was this oh my god she's the most amazing person and me like why me i thought she'd have all these men after her you know and i think he was a bit shocked wasn't he when she said i love you back yeah and I think, to be honest, he wanted to change. He wanted to become better for Megan. And I think that's when you know you found the right person because you want to be the best version of yourself. Um, The one thing I loved about when he was talking about therapy is he mentioned Tiggy and that she was a surrogate mother to him. But then in talking about Tiggy, he felt quite like... I don't know whether... I can't remember if he actually said it in this way, but it was like he felt a little bit... Oh, I'm talking about Tiggy as my mum. I wish my mum was here. And you can tell this whole section of therapy where he does start remembering Diana because he couldn't remember any memories of her before that. And he does mention actually that... His pain, holding on to that anger and the pain and all the anguish about the press was a way of actually keeping Diana alive because he couldn't drum up any of these memories. And maybe that is why he doubled down on the press because actually in feeling pain, he was feeling something for his mum in a weird way, you know, in kind of like an adverse way he was kind of feeling that. But I really enjoyed listening to Harry's therapy journey and we had a comment that said recently that some of the comments we made i think in part one was about harry and who he was rather than harry who he is but actually we're just talking about the book you know and the stories that are in it we understand that that's not who he is now he has developed he has moved forward but i'm leaving the whole book just feeling glad to finish it It wasn't a good read for me. And I don't mean that to slag him off. It's not because it's Harry that I thought that. It's just some of the experiences within his life just did not resonate with me. And one of those, actually, that drove me absolutely another time Lally was when they were in the Labour Ward when Meghan was having Archie. Everything you read was just about Harry. He, He was mentioning her. He wasn't like completely leaving out the story. But he didn't talk like somebody who was a husband in that moment. So I guess, again, it felt very Ghostwriter. But when he was using the laughing gas, I think we call that gas an air here, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know whether gas it's different or not. I was just like, hang on a second. This person is squeezing a human being out of her body. Leave the gas. You do not <laughs> need the gas. And then he was like, Nando's chicken was getting us through. <laughs> getting you through? What were you doing, mates? What exactly were you doing? Oh Yeah. And just to wrap up, it just goes on to say things that we've heard about in the in the documentary. The fact that Charles and Camilla's offices have been selling stories to the press about William and Catherine. And William brought that to Harry and they and then Harry was just saying, yeah, but this is what happened to me. And, and then they got into an argument. And I just thought, oh, like, think we've we've heard enough of this now. We get the point. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I don't know. I just I'm glad I've read it. I'm glad it's over and I hope he doesn't bring another book out. Not because like, oh, he's going to slander the royals. I don't care what he says about the royals. If that's his truth, bring it on. But I just didn't like
1: this memoir. Give me an autobiography any day. Well, I'm glad I listened to it. And it was nice to hear his side of the stories. I felt sometimes they weren't consistent and they weren't cohesive in the sense that he would bring up one story and it wasn't really finished or you would, talk, you would talk about an incident that maybe we've heard as a reader before in the press or we've read online on social media, for example, and it wasn't the full story. Again, I'm thinking about Tiara Gate. That's one in particular story. I'm thinking about Charlotte's bridesmaids' dresses. There's just so many stories that we've heard previously that I would have liked a full rounded evaluation of his version of what happened, or his and Megan's version of what happened. Yeah, I think one thing for me throughout this whole book is he just comes across as lost. It's not until he meets Megan and he starts to settle down and they go on to have Archie and then Lilybeth that he feels that he's happy. And I really do, as another human being, I really do hope he is happy. But we said it before, Shell. what's the end game? Mm Mm-hmm. He said in another interview the other week that this book could have been twice as long and he's got more things that could have come out, but he didn't put them in the book because they would harm his family more. And he's hoping that maybe not now, but in five years, 10 years, that him and his family can have that conversation. And I've said this before, but you've done Oprah, you've done Netflix, you've done the book. That's it now. You know, if you you want to have your life and work f- with charities and bring out initiatives, for example. That's fair enough, but you don't need to bring the family into it now. That side should be done and dusted because you've had your say, you've had your piece, you said your bit. Yeah. But for me, I just feel like this isn't the end of it. And mm. I'm telling you now, if we do the podcast even five years, listen back to this episode because I've got a feeling this isn't the end of it and we will be hearing more in the future. Mm. I wish them... All the best. I think if they're going to do anything, it'll be
0: more philanthropy work. And in doing that, it's only going to help other people. So let's hope that they stay on that true path because that doesn't make what's happened right. You know, it doesn't make the pain go away from what they've experienced in the past. But I think it's how you move forward and being able to just live in your truth and just live the life that you want. I think that's true happiness, isn't it? So we wish them all the best. We really do. As we always say on the podcast, we'll only talk about Meghan and Harry when it pertains to the royal family because they've left now. And just like we do with Eugenie or Zara and Mike, we'll bring them in every now and then, but they're not going to make a big, massive section of, of the podcast. So you won't hear us talk about engagements here when it's just Harry and Meghan unless it's to do with something that's connected to the royal family. So that's if you've never heard the podcast before. You don't know our stats for Megan and Harry. I thought I'd just mention that. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you think of Spear. We've had lots and lots of people give us their opinions and we tried our best to be as impartial as possible. You know, we do have a love for the royals, so we're going to maybe see it in a different way. We also live in Britain, so we're always going to see it from a British perspective as well. But I mean, if you give it a mark out of 10, Rach, what would you give the book? I would probably say a six. Ah, I was going to give it a five. Oh. And yeah, and the reason why is because for me, the ghostwriter was excellent, but I'm just not a fan of memoirs. Probably say it about six times this podcast
1: already. But
0: <laughs> no, not for me. I thought his life is very interesting, but... I don't know. I just didn't know which Harry I was listening to at times. You know, was it the privileged Harry? Was it the Harry that didn't have any money? Was it the Harry that had Ikea furniture? Was it the Harry in TK Maxx? Was it the Harry in Necker Island? Was it the Harry that had butlers and bodyguards? And do you see what I mean? I just mm. didn't know which one. And I guess he's all of those things, but it just, there wasn't a cohesive Harry I could hold on to, if that makes sense. And I think mm. that's exactly like you said, it's because he was lost. He was lost yeah. in this book. for Well, he was lost in his life for a long time. And I think now he's starting to find
1: himself. And I think in, in 10 years' time, that's probably going to be a better book. I didn't particularly like the ghostwriting. I didn't like it. I didn't like that the stories were short and sweet as such. I didn't like that they weren't consistent. I didn't like that they were half finished. Mm. But I liked that Harry's finally said he's peace. He's had yeah. his say. And we're hearing it from his own voice. And I'm so happy that the audiobook was done in his voice. Yeah. And not, he was and good. not read by someone else. He was good. Apart from the singing. <laughs> oh, no, I up the singing. I'll tell you what I want, when I really, really want. Bring it on.
0: I love the singing. I, and I, I agree with you. I think he did an excellent job of the audiobook. And I was a bit like, oh, no, is he going to mess this up? He didn't. He did an excellent yeah. job at the audiobook. It was, it,
1: yeah, I really enjoyed the aspects of it. So, yeah, so... Let us know your thoughts and opinions. Normal scheduling will resume next week. I'm quite excited to just go back to the normal news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back to normal. Yeah, if you would love to support
0: Rachel and I on the podcast, you can over on Ko-fi. Four pounds are around about six bucks and that helps us to keep the podcast on the air. We also have the VIP Royal community over on Ko-fi as well. So you're more than welcome to join the monthly VIP. We've got Zoom calls every month. We've got a VIP
1: group. So feel free to come over and join us over there. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Keeping Up The Windsor's Pod. And we also have an email address, keepingupthewindsorspod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on YouTube where we have lots of other royal content, Keeping Up The
0: Windsor's. And remember, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. And on Spotify, leave us a five-star rate. And if you're listening on Podbean, you can follow or leave us a comment. And thank you so much for being part of the Royal Community. It's been wonderful to have a chat all about Spare. And now it's done. <laughs> 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 so we will see you next week on Keep, Keep It the With the Winzers. The winzers.